What's up, Euphonauts? Today, we have a very special episode. It's a special collaboration between friends, pod friends, pod family. I, of course, am talking about the Not Alone podcast. Introduce yourselves, gentlemen. My name is Sam Fredrickson. And I'm Jason Moitoso. And we are the Not, Not Alone, Alone podcast. podcast. Wow, good, like, double, not, double talk on that. We've done this a bit, Sam. 76 <laughs> times. For some reason, I just know what you're going to say. Wow. It's like you guys are in Hi, sync Rob. or something. Hey, man. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hi. So... I <laughs> he said hi to me. To you, he just said That's hi, you know, as if well, he maybe forgot me, his name for a me, moment. He's just Rob. Rob. <laughs> that one guy that keeps planting all these seeds in your mind. That's true. Hello, Jason. Rob. <laughs> Let's get this thing on the road, shall we? Yes. Yeah, so um, today we're talking about the Gulf Breeze sightings. And we're focusing primarily on one man named Ed Walters, his experiences, which are just crazy, totally crazy. Sam, if you had to give a reason why this case gained national attention, what would you say is the reason? Well, I would say it was Ed Walters himself. I mean, you have, in addition to the full color photographs and the the supposedly advanced testing that went on to authenticate these photographs really ed is just such a colorful character uh that it it just made good news it just made a good story for the day it really did and i mean we're talking about gulf breeze so gulf breeze florida we're in Florida. We're in the we're at the top of the panhandle right now, right across from Pensacola. Uh, it's a relatively young city we're talking about. It's only about at the time around five thousand people that live there. It was established in nineteen thirty five and it was incorporated in nineteen sixty one, which is also the year of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which uh, is one of the most famous abduction cases. Jason, how do you feel about that case? I, I know nothing about it. Yeah, Jason doesn't know a whole lot about it. <laughs> it's good. This, yeah, yeah. So when we cover that, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a heads up on what I think about it. Which we were going to do last year around this yeah. time, but then Chris ended up doing it on um, – his show. Yes. And so we decide not to do it on ours, which is fine. That happens. Totally fine. Uh, it's interesting that this city was founded in the shadow of the UFO. It really was. Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> in the shadow of UFO. Coincidence. I think not. I think not. There are two kinds of people. Those who believe in coincidence and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. No, shit. Those who don't believe in coincidence and Jason is what I meant to say. I mean, that's that's a perfect that's a perfect descriptor right there. And also, this had been 30 years since the actual first widely reported abduction case, which wasn't Betty and Barney Hill. It was actually of a Brazilian farmer named Antonio Villas Boras, who uh, he was 
plowing a field at one o'clock in the morning for whatever reason. I guess that's just something that you do in Brazil. During the witching hour. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in really? the witching hour, and uh, a UFO lands in his field. They abduct him. They do some stuff to him, which we won't get into on this episode because it gets, uh, you know, it gets kinky and all that stuff. But uh, physical. <laughs> <laughs> But, I'm gonna derail derail us as much as possible. That's, that's, that's fine. Job. That's that's I, that's what you're here for, Jason. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it'd been exactly 30 years. Actually, the month before Ed Walter's first experience marked the 30 year anniversary of Antonio's experiences. So Ed Walter's a very interesting individual. He grew up in Jacksonville, Florida where he studied architecture at the local university. And after graduation, he established a very successful construction business that employed over 200 people. It unfortunately went belly up in 1964. The building trades kind of hit a bubble and just uh, the bottom fell from underneath it. So Ed decided to pack up his family, which included his wife, Frances, his son Danny and his daughter Laura, and they moved to Costa Rica for five years, where they ran a really successful coffee plantation. As this is a very it sounds interesting like he hid move. Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what really happened. <laughs> you have right off the bat a, a country that seems almost notorious for being hard to get people out. <laughs> Right after a time when people were losing money hand over fist to the building companies. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It, it is. And one thing that I will note, Ed is, seems to be a pretty good businessman for whatever reason. He, it doesn't matter what it is. He, he's good at making money. So, you know, he's got that going for him. I don't trust businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, Sam. That's fair. Sam, who do you trust? Only myself. Are you sure? Because you have been noted on multiple occasions on previous episodes of my podcast as being a disinformation agent. Only myself. <laughs> Wait a what? second. Maybe I like Rob's podcast. <laughs> Who's the disinformation agent? Eight? Yes. Right. What? Oh, that's right. I remember now. The book club. Yes. You have also been noted as being a disinformation agent, You know agent, who the Rob, only so one? you can't really pull that card. You know who the only one that hasn't been? Uh, Let dirt? me do it right now. Jason, you're a disinformation agent. What are you talking Boom. about? Welcome. We're all disinformation agents. Nah, you stop that. Welcome to the group, Jason. <laughs> Ugh. All right. <sighs> Still haven't read that message on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, in 1980, um, the family moved back uh, to the States. They were concerned when about uh, their kids' upbringing. They wanted them to have that American upbringing, um, as most American parents probably want for their kids. And once the money was clean, yeah, laundry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> no, now. you're not. No, yeah. <laughs> no. This is we're we're just on page one here. We're to page one. <laughs> so, uh, just snacks. Yeah. in. They move first back to Corpus Christi, Texas, and then finally settle in Gulf Breeze, where they had been living for roughly seven years. So our story begins on the evening of November 11th, 1987. 
Ed's daughter, Laura, was hanging out with some friends in the neighborhood, and Francis had just left the store to pick up some ingredients that they needed for the evening meal. So Ed was by himself in his front office uh, working on housing plans, and his attention was drawn toward a 30-foot-tall pine tree in his front yard where there was a, there was a light shining through the branches. He watched it for a few minutes before he went to his front door to get a better look of it. And from the doorway, he could actually see that it was a blue-gray object that looked like it was composed of, like, numerous UFOs. Like, these were UFOs poorly stacked on top of each other because there was a larger UFO stacked on uh, smaller UFOs below it. That just makes me think of the Great British Baking Show. I mean, you know... That's a bad bake, Mary. It is. A bad <laughs> bake. <laughs> it has layers. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to, like, imagine what it looks like. And I, I'm just I imagining Paul Hollywood standing there. Now I'm just thinking... Wait, 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 wait. Distinct wait. J- layers. J- Jason, bring up the notes. There are pictures in those notes. I know. I'm looking at them. <laughs> but he's imagining... Without the notes, he sees these pictures. I know he's seen these pictures. He just wants to believe his own his own little thing. So it looks kind of like a muffin. It does look a, a wee with, bit like a muffin. It does, like a, like a cherry or something on top, or it's a, a good strawberry. Bake. Its structure looks like a muffin, while it looks like it's also consistent with a disco ball almost just uh given the color the blue gray color i i th- if this thing started spinning in a circle i'd probably dance right underneath that thing especially if it's dropping beams of light down i'm totally there <laughs> every night when i walk my dog i don't anymore but i used to for probably like six straight months i'd walk my dog and i'd listen to that song from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, uh, Night on Disco Mountain. Oh, yeah. Where they, yeah, you already know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I would I would conceptualize what it would be like to have a disco alien movie. And wow. I think that's where we are right now. I, I think that's what's going on. I th- Yeah, I can feel it. We're, we're definitely there. Now back to that blessed Veterans Day, which you forgot to mention. I <laughs> oh guess you yes, love it, it, the veterans like we do. Yes, it was it was indeed Veterans Day, and Ed decided to run inside and grab his Polaroid camera. Ed uh, used this on job sites to take various pictures for whatever you use those for on job sites, and he just started snapping picture after picture after picture of this thing. He snapped four consecutive pictures in a row. When he started to do that, the craft started to lift up. He captured one really great photograph of this UFO, like, right on the edge of a tree, which uh, later we'll talk about. Bruce Maccabee really loved that photo, but uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Ed was struggling to make sense of what he was seeing. He first described this thing as, like, a movie prop. Only this was no movie prop, dang it. There was no way this was a movie prop. That's a direct quote. This was no movie prop gone astray. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, How fortuitous that he could distinctify that for us. Yeah, I appreciate Ed Walters and his basic distinctions. It's it's very much appreciated. He estimated the size of this thing to be about 35 feet tall and 60 feet wide, and later he realized that those numbers were dumb, and he changed it to a smaller set of numbers. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that is a, a an apartment building flying through the air. Yeah, and we're talking about a UFO on the road. Like it would be like it would be taking down the tree. <laughs> yeah. So this thing shot to about 200 feet above him, and Ed went out into the street to get a better look at this thing, and he's looking up, and he snaps another picture, and, and just as he does that, this UFO shoots down a blue beam of light, which just freezes him. He is paralyzed. His breathing started to become labored. He was struggling there, and he could feel his brain specifically starting to be squeezed inside his skull. I don't want to know what that feels like at all. You know, it sounds very much... Um, it, I mean, it, it hits a lot of the same ideas as other abduction accounts. It really does, um, especially this idea of paralysis and labored breathing not being able to breathe one way or the other and it makes me think specifically of 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 course Whitley Strieber but often when you have these sorts of encounters uh they happen in the bedroom at night and you're you're all alone or your significant other is asleep and it can be easily dismissed or explained away as sleep paralysis the fact that this is theoretically happening in the middle of the road like this is no sleep paralysis sort of a situation. Uh, no, he's he's fully conscious, and like this is in the middle of the dang street at about five five thirty at night. So th- you'd figure there should be people around seeing this, people coming home from work, but nobody on his street claimed to see anything like this. So that's that's kind of suspect and interesting. Uh, Jason, how do you feel about it? He's looking really over the book. <laughs> He's looking over the book right now. I've handed uh, it to him. He's looking at the photos. Do you, Do you really want to know? Of course. That's yeah, why you're here. That's what okay. you're here for, Jason. Chime uh, in. The The sizing. So I'm I'm looking through a lot of different photos, but the size of the craft doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. They don't seem consistent throughout its location because we do have some what i do like is there are some reference points it's not just like a picture up in the sky uh but we have telephone poles we have trees we have things that we all know theoretically how tall and how big they are Mm -hmm. but from there the images themselves of the actual craft tend to feel like they vary uh there's a photo of it essentially like at a road it looks like oh yeah and it's a completely different size than on the next photo that has a dog in it so I, the size of the actual object seems to be what's throwing me off right now in the images and i had the same exact feeling the first time i ever picked up that book you are not alone literally and how you feel Ooh. right now <laughs> yeah because that's 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 what's throwing me off at the at this point in time just thumbing through all these pictures that they have. They're awesome photos, but uh, the the ghostly, they look kind of ghostly. Yeah, like, it, it, they almost look semi-transparent old-fashioned to, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, I'm going to hand it back to Sam so I stop staring <laughs> at them. Along with his uh, brain being squeezed, um, he also, in conjunction with his labored breathing, he couldn't scream, which he was trying desperately to do. He felt he said it felt like he was inside a vacuum almost. 
And that makes sense. he could feel a sharp pain coming from his right eye socket. Like he said it felt like somebody was basically stabbing him in the eye. So he's going through hell right That's now. That's a good way to introduce yourself to a new species. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right in the eye. <laughs> Humans don't have a weird thing about like their eyes getting stabbed, right? No. 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 no, that's just how we greet you. Yeah. It doesn't make me want to physically vomit right now just thinking about it. No. Please don't. No. Um, no, that would uh, derail this entire thing. And uh, we, we, no. But the, um, the, the, the description of his scream and not being able to breathe it reminds me a lot of when I went skydiving. Mm-hmm. And, like, catching You your, went skydiving? Yeah, catching Whoa. your breath while you're in free fall is actually really tricky to do because the air is moving so fast around you that even when you're trying to inhale, you're, you're gasping for air almost. And because of that, too, I, it's just I, I made no sound because, like, scream when I'm having fun most of the time, roller coasters and whatnot. So you, it's hard to – you can't really hear yourself whatsoever, and, like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. So that kind of feeling makes sense for something that's, I don't know, Involving a lot of wind. Cool. That makes yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, dig yeah. it. That's, as yeah. far as what he's experiencing, that's relatable. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Sam, ghost guy diving. That's the answer. No. Everyone should at least once. No. Yeah. Um. Yes. I don't. It's so don't. much fun. I'm not gonna. Let's you move freak forward. Out Let's go forward. Because he can't breathe. For I'm about already 30 scared. Seconds, and then it's wonderful. <sighs> so okay. the thir- first thirty seconds, totally terrifying. The rest of it. You know, pretty good. Transcendental. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to something else that reminds me of the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> there was a there was a smell, wasn't there? Oh yeah, we're 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 gonna get to the smell in a second. Okay. Okay. Oh. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. No, it's all, it's all good. Um, so uh, Ed could now look down and uh, see that the he was actually levitating off of the ground about two feet. He's freaking out, and this voice enters his head, claiming that what whoever they were, they were not going to harm him. And only screamed, you know, tried to scream more, and the voice came back and told him to calm down. <laughs> You're being hysterical, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Ed... Just wasn't having it. In his head, he told the aliens to put him down. He's struggling the entire way, and um, all of a sudden, this strange smell starts to manifest within this blue beam that he described as a mixture of ammonia and cinnamon. What? Yes, ammonia and cinnamon. Huh. And, okay. And the thing about this smell is that there's almost kind of a direct correlation to what Whitley Strieber said the aliens mm-hmm. smelled like because uh, he said that they smelled like this organic sourness, molten cardboard, and cinnamon. So there are some kind of interesting parallels there. Um, and it should be... Aliens like their spices. Yeah. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. You know, weird. like... That's just so weird. Making a snickadoodle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it should... How- it should how uh what was sorry I'm gonna interrupt yeah, you no, what was before. the time between uh the Gulf Breeze incidents here and uh Communion Streber. or Streber in general um that's the thing Communion was published 
earlier in 87, Ed's encounters happened in later 87, so there's a chance that he could be kind of stealing, you know, okay. parts of, of Whitley's story, for sure. But I don't know, so, but it came out, both of the books came out in 87, though? No, no. Or, or okay. No, Ed's, so Ed's the, experiences. The flap happened in 87. Yeah. After that. Well, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. The smell, like, burned and stuck to the back of his throat, and this vibration began to pass through his body. The aliens continued urging Ed not to resist. Ed's response, he boldly proclaimed, screw you. (laughs) That we should all be so brave. Absolutely. That we should be so brave. <laughs> Bravery or stubbornness? Um, yes. I think it's true. a combination of both here. <laughs> fair. Totally fair. I just love this image of a man. Like, it's almost religious and metaphorical in its own sense of a man being confronted with something beyond his understanding. And instead of feeling any sort of uh, innate desire to bow to it or to to accept it as a higher being than him he simply tells it to f off and get out of his house <laughs> he's got what you gotta do yeah he's a he's a he's a damn hero that's, that's he is it's just he's the hero of the human soul is he, what ed is he really is the voice changed to a more pleasant female tone which like these tones that he's hearing he describes them as like a combination of like a computer-like voice, but that was also deep and guttural at the same time, which, you know, that's Ooh. that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we all try it? Nah. No. I'm good. No. I'm, 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 oh, no, that just makes me think of Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the aliens just keep at it, and... Jason's they... just making this face right now. I just... It's beautiful. It just, what's you, going on in your head, dude? I'm like, it went from that to, like, Cortana. <laughs> that was the shift. What Cortana happens, from, like, Halo 1, the original. What happens if, like, this all happens in, in 87? Yeah. And then, like, 30 or 25 years later, like, Siri and Cortana and all these digital assistants come out. And one day, Edward, Edward frickin' Walters... Gets the new iPhone 4S, and he goes to activate Siri, and it's the same voice that he heard all those years ago. I told you I'd be back. (laughs) We're digging deep here. You are ours. (laughs) Okay. All right, go ahead. So after this female tone comes into his head, his mind is starting to become filled with visions of various breeds of dog. Me too. Yeah. Gotta love the pups. All day. Every day. <laughs> Good boys. Oh, yeah. Um, and these were breeds of all different sizes and shapes. And uh, he said it was like someone was manning a projector and somehow getting it to transmit inside his head. So you got that going on. Eventually, the UFO is done with Ed's shenanigans. Uh, they drop him to the ground and it shoots up into the air just leaving him laying in the middle of the road. A few minutes later, Francis pulls into the driveway and walks over to him asking why the heck he was lying in the middle of the road. She is suddenly hit with the ammonia and cinnamon stench and basically says, what 
what is that smell? Um, so and let's just remember that ammonia smells essentially like cat pee. Yeah. So what she finds <laughs> is her husband <laughs> laying in the street, reeking of cat piss and the sweet <laughs> fragrance. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ed's been experiment <laughs> gone wrong. <laughs> Was it alien abduction, or did he go to the strip club at 5 p.m.? <laughs> like, would you go to the strip club for happy hour? I don't know. But Ed Walters seems like the kind of guy. He's, yo, he's middle-aged. He wants to get things done earlier. Okay? I, I respect that. Nobody wants to be out that late. No. <laughs> Nobody. No, not at all. Ed leads her into the house, tells her exactly what happened to him, and... He's kind of freaking out. He's he, he's a little scared. The family's picking up on it, and they're a little uneasy. She ends up washing his clothes, which they note as a mistake because they're going to come at this after this event, like as I don't want to say as scientifically as possible, but there's some science in there. There's a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of something for you to cling to, Jason. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We'll we'll see. So this exact sighting would actually mark the beginning of the flap in Gulf Breeze. The main concentration of it would uh, last until 1992. Hundreds of citizens would go on to report their UFO sightings to the local paper, uh, the Gulf Breeze Sentinel, and to MUFON, which really investigated the hell out of this, uh, you'll come to find. So Ed and Francis almost immediately discuss bringing these photos to the Sentinel. And and the thing about that is when you read the book, which most of this is going to come from, it's called The Gulf Breeze Sightings by Ed Walters and Francis Walters. They don't give a motivation up front. It's a little suspicious because um, are you trying to profit off this in, in some way? Are you trying to, you know... Maybe bring yourself attention, get yourself a book deal, get yourself a TV deal, whatever. Always. Uh, yeah. So that, well, that's kind of suspicious. But, but when we look at it, I think, maybe, I could be wrong, but technically, didn't he publish them anonymously first? Yes. Or, or sent them out anonymously? And the other part of it is that, like, even on, just on the 11th alone, again, this this first day in what would be pretty much a five-year affair in Gulf Gulf Breeze, like, he was definitely not the only one. This whole thing didn't kick off just with Ed Walters being, uh, with having a failed abduction. I mean, you had, like, five, four to five other independent witnesses who all said they saw something, uh, a lot of which seemed to be giving off a, a glowing blue light, that sort of a thing that matched certain other markers. And as you get in these smaller towns, you actually have a good amount of people coming out and saying, yes, this is my actual name. I am named, and I'm saying this. I'm not just going to say it anonymously. Um, and, and basically inviting people, not only, of course, to ridicule and all of that, but to come ask them and come talk to them about it uh, as well. So I don't know. I think right off the bat, the idea of a, of a book deal, not to mention um, – in the introduction of the book, which is written by everybody's favorite kind of favorite ufologist, my one of my favorite uh, ufologists, Bud Hopkins. Oh, that guy. <laughs> he, <laughs> 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 he, 
This is Jason's flowchart. Is it related to Whitley Strieber? Yes or no? If yes, that guy. If no, that, that guy. guy. <laughs> Derision. Um, but Ed Wal or not Ed Walters, Bud Hopkins talks about how Walters like was had been offered book deals by the time that he showed up and had had put them down and how he said that like if if he was going to work with Walters on this they were going to conduct a very thorough investigation which Ed welcomed as opposed to just taking the money and running on one of these other deals that supposedly had been offered yeah and uh it's kind of interesting that Bud Hopkins himself wrote the introduction to this book because Bud Hopkins really doesn't play that big a part in Ed Walter's story. There's one moment where I believe Bud is actually in town conducting an interview with another abductee, and he just, like, rolls up into the Walters household, and, you know, it's almost like he's a celebrity to a certain extent, which, you know, in the UFO community he kind of is, but... Uh, that's totally uh i i could totally believe that too it, he definitely uh shot down book deals up front and another thing to note if this was about money ed did have money he wasn't mm -hmm. poor by any means i mean he had a house with a pool he had most luxuries that a lot of people wouldn't be able to afford in the 80s so He's definitely not hard up for money of any kind. I just found it really strange that, you know, right up, uh, it's maybe like 10 pages later that he says, uh, I want to bring these to the Sentinel to see if any other eyewitnesses would come forward. It's like, mm -hmm. state your intentions up front, dude. That's all I'm saying. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, but you also just, I mean, while you did have... Um you had communion and all of that that, you know, like we had mentioned, just been published and you had more of like the UFO abduction idea being more prevalent in society. It wasn't as I would say ubiquitous as it is today right? to the point of like, I can still see, especially it does make sense if he's a, a guy who had a, and and we joked, but it's probably not an illegal building corporation. It no. might have been. No. But, like, had a successful company, left, came back, had another successful local business. Well, I mean, there's a lot of money in coffee beans. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you implying what I think we're implying? I drink a lot of coffee. Oh, I'm talking about cocaine. <laughs> no, I'm <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no, we're on. No, we're not. Just like usual on different pages. Different pages. I don't know. It makes sense. I agree that like it's important to state your intentions up front because you don't want that that retroactive criticism of like, well, why didn't you? It was still such a new territory, but I can I can definitely understand why he would have chosen to be anonymous at first. Now that doesn't explain all the weird incongruities with the story later on, though. Yeah, what? and and. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you have a definitely if you have a successful business and you have a family you're trying to protect, you definitely might not want to go around town saying that you are the kooky guy that took UFO photos uh, for sure. Even though what we'll come to find is that Ed's really not that great at staying anonymous. <laughs> right. Gets, he gets found out later. But eventually, you know, Ed Francis, they talk this over and decide that. They're going to bring these photos to the Gulf Breeze Sentinel. Um, and it's specifically to their editor, Dwayne Cook. Ed gives the photos over to him, uses the pseudonym 
quote Mr. X and uh, claim that Mr. his Mr. X yeah it's not he's a professor so. <laughs> yes and uh, he... I'm Charles Xavier <laughs> and these are my UFO photographs <laughs> and uh, yeah he and the thing is is like. Ed's not subtle about this. He claim he he's claiming that Mr. X took these photos on Ed's property. I'm like, eh, that's that's kind of iffy, but okay, Ed. Um, sure, we'll go along with it. Um, I was at Ed Walter's house. Have you ever seen his house? It's huge. <laughs> he's he's so rich and successful, and everyone loves Ed Walters. And that's where I was taking these photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, So he brings the photos uh, to the uh, Sentinel on the 17th. They're published in the November 19th edition of the paper, along with a letter, which I actually have here from the book. So I will I will read it. It's uh, it's short. So here we go. To whom it may concern on the night of November 11th, I took the photos you now see before you. I was reluctant at first to show them to anyone but my family, but my wife convinced me to show them to Ed. Ed, in turn, said that the photos should be shown to the press. That is why he's presenting them to you. I just sat down to dinner when I saw the object from my window. I rushed to my bedroom to get my Polaroid. I rushed outside and started taking pictures. I got off four good pictures and then had to change the film. I got one more good picture before it shot straight up and disappeared. There may be some reasonable explanation for what I saw, but I don't think so. The quote-unquote ship looked about the size of a small house, which, yes, Ed's going to later change that number, or at least that size ratio. It was, however, quite some distance away and hard to tell. It hovered in the sky for several minutes and then left. It did not spin or rotate, but it did seem to bob up and down while weaving slightly. It glowed from the bottom as if that may be the power source. The markings on the upper and lower sections were aligned and spaced equally. On the top, there appeared to be a dome or a bump that was quite bright. There was nothing colorful about it, no flashing lights, no beams coming from it, None of that Star Wars stuff. (laughs) It was just a dull, gray-blue thing. I don't think that it was military, but (laughs) you may want to check. It was quite big, and I don't think I was alone in seeing it. I wish to remain anonymous, but if these photos and stories spark any interest from your readership, I may identify myself. I am a prominent citizen of the community and need anonymity at this time. I know what I saw and would feel much better if I knew I was not alone. (laughs) Thanks, Ed Walters, (laughs) for the name drop. Let me reassure you that this is not a hoax. I saw what I saw, took pictures of it, and have given these pictures to you. I wish I could come forward, but cannot. For a while, I, (laughs) I have nothing to gain. I have everything to lose. Thank you for your time and understanding. I love at the beginning. It's like 
asking for a friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about myself, but like this other dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He took these photos, you see. <laughs> this is the you've got a friend in me letter of UFO photos. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it definitely is. It literally makes absolutely no sense. It's no. great. Like, no. <laughs> why would this other person, out of everyone, their wife would be like, you should talk to Ed Walters. <laughs> that, <laughs> that guy. That guy. You He's know. smart. Have you seen his house? It's real big. <laughs> Everyone likes him. He's got a pool. Yeah. And, <laughs> but just like the idea that he's like, I saw, I like what? I I talked to Ed Walters about it and like this and that. And they, these were taken on Ed's property. And then in the letter, I was sitting at my table looking out my window. <laughs> I grabbed my camera and ran out to my front yard. It's like, okay. Ed sure, you're quotes. getting, uh, yeah, Ed, you're sketchy, dude. Like, and, and you could tell kind of what he was trying to do. He's he's hiding what he experienced, but he's leaving some details in there that for him is going to confirm what if other people had seen this object that these telltale markers are there. And one of the things that he notes is that this UFO seemed to bob up and down. Mm-hmm. So. Like it's held by like a fishing rod or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the publication of the photos did bring forth new eyewitnesses who claimed to see UFOs conceivably at all hours of the day leading up to Ed's sighting. At 2 a.m. that morning, Mrs. Zamet, she didn't want to use her first name, was woken up by the sound of her dog growling. She picked up the dog and was drawn outside for whatever reason and she sees this ufo and described it being very similar to what ed had seen that i believe it was mufon investigators that actually showed her pictures of the ones that ed had taken she said that it looked very much like it and that it was projecting a blue beam of light into a nearby canal upon seeing this though mrs zamet ran inside immediately Fearing that the craft was going to come for her dog. <laughs> okay, all right. Yo, I get that. I get that. It's funny, right? <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about this rationally. First off, she didn't say her first name. How many Mrs. Zamets are there going to be? I've never <laughs> exactly. heard this name in my life. Exactly. But, but secondly, it's really interesting. And granted, I like sometimes get like morbid intrusive thoughts about people hurting my dog and it makes me so mad. And so I can understand that. But at the other point, is it not very interesting that like her mind immediately went to, they want my dog. (laughs) Yeah. And Ed Walters was shown theoretically projection projections of different kinds of dogs. And as we will see, Ed has a dog who is like active in this whole thing. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm even making fun of this when I say, maybe they're here to check out dogs. Yo, <laughs> like, dude. We it, heard you like dogs. The I want to see your dogs. Well, <laughs> and I'm just going to allow myself to be out there on this one in the spirit of Ed. Because if you think about it as well, like, the dog provides a a way of looking at humanity and its interaction with the world around it and how it took this this great fearsome predator and over the years domesticated it. And maybe that is some component that the aliens can use to understand us better, is our relationship to our pets. So oh. maybe they were there for the dog. Yeah, I figured they were just there to, like, 
Yo, for some reason, all these humans like dogs. They we got should memes. know more about dogs. <laughs> They're gonna That's have our memes. in. That is our in. Yep. The dogs. The 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 dogs are it. Um, Did you guys never see that the Scooby Doo uh, Alien movie? I didn't. No. Like no. Like Scooby no. versus was, Alien. No, it was it sort of. It wasn't like a versus. But, okay. Uh, two of the aliens was a, a a dog owner and her dog. No, I did not see yeah. that. It was awesome. It was I believe one of my it. favorites. I believe it. But yeah, man. They're here to just be dogs. It's gotta be it. It's gotta be it. Man. The, the dang dogs, man. You know, they just. Uh, are there dog abductions out there? We need to know. Alternatively, <laughs> if there are dog abductions, which I would put money on that there are, perhaps they are done to study the physiology of the dog in which they can then implant members of the alien society into our society detected, undetected, as dogs, as they have done yeah, with like in humanoid beings. Yeah, this is some... Is that in Men in Black? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. The dog okay. Frank. <laughs> Well, yep. I thought I was being original. My bad. No. Sorry. There are no original thoughts, Sam. It's True. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Gotta be it. Gotta be dogs. There were other additional sightings. Uh, there was one kind of dramatic one by a man named Jeff Thompson at 8.15 that morning. He saw an object hovering near the Oriole Beach Elementary School, and it kind of just shot up and hovered for a second before it just sped away and then interestingly enough minutes later two jets actually flew right past him and in the direction of the ufo so maybe it was in pursuit we don't know and we won't find out the the military in this case is not really forthcoming with anything and it, and it should be noted that there are a couple of airbase uh Elgin Air Base somewhere. Uh, I think it's right around Pensacola. And uh, they actually had a test wing out there, the 96th test wing. And there's a naval station out there, too. So there's definitely some military activity going on in the area. So you don't say. Yeah, we can't rule that That's out. So interesting. But you yeah. have your, your age old chicken and the egg scenario. Are the aliens there? because of the the testing grounds and they're trying to keep an eye on what's going on or are the testing grounds there because there are aliens in the area or then Jason's hypothesis are the testings the or, or is the military the aliens we'll never know okay so like the last one where you're claiming that's my acquisition yeah. acquisition uh no it's more like are people just mistaking UFOs with Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Testing. Is it yeah. new military and, and military technology are the aliens? Because it kind of sounds like you're saying the military is ran by aliens. I am saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying it right now, okay. but I am saying it. Just, just wanting to clarify where that line is. Yes, military. Uh, the aliens have infiltrated, and they've been running this thing since 52. So um, that's where we're at. Well, that's where we're at, you know. Um, I figured they'd be better at it. I, you know, <laughs> I, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. They, they should be. Uh, the most promising sighting that day uh, came from a, a man named Charles Summerby, and he was out walking with his wife, Dari. Um, it, it wasn't in Gulf Breeze. It was uh, near this place called East Bay. It was 530 at night, and they saw this round object 
that was just heading in the direction of Gulf Breeze at the time. So it could be that that's a correlation to the encounter Ed was uh, just about to have. So it's interesting that there are a, a number of reports on the on the 11th. So there's definitely something going on here. What it is... is there? Is yes. there any sort of indication on the speed of the craft that uh, Summerbees the Summerbees saw? No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't make note of that. I, I mean, it was probably moving pretty swift because uh, in, in one of my earliest episodes, I talked about how when you you know when you look up in the sky and you see like a jet flying by, you could s- see it for relatively like what uh, around like four to five minutes. You know, in the air, even sure. booking it depending at, you know, on the, the at sky. top speed. Yeah, most of the time people see UFOs uh, move uh, quickly, like ten to fifteen seconds. So you know, pretty quick. They didn't really give any indication, but I would imagine it was probably kind of booked it a little bit. Hmm. You know this this became the talk of the town uh, after the publication of the photos. Everybody was talking about it. Even Ed was carrying around a copy of the Gulf Breeze Sentinel with the photos in it and everything. Even though he didn't really want to talk about it, he wanted to talk about it. But we've all had that happen to us. I don't know. There have all been things where, like, I know there's been things I've wanted to, like, discuss, but I don't want to be the one to bring it up. Oh, yeah. So, like, it happens. For sure. For sure. And, and you know, he... Him and Francis were really thinking about this thing, like, for days on end. And, and like, the Gulf Breeze sightings is, is one, of my, one of the most quotable alien abduction books ever because Ed has just got one-liners in here like crazy. But one of my favorites is, quote, had someone said, hey, Ed, want to take a ride? I might have agreed to go, but force me to obey, lift me off the road, freeze my body solid. Treat me like an ant or a dog? No way. Not in this no country. Way. It's un-American. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's the most American of all of us. Anyone involved in the UFO phenomena. Yes. The, the most American alien abductee ever. Well, potential alien. We'll get to the alien abduction later, but nine days after his first encounter the ufo would return ed was walking in the door from a long day at work and it was homecoming that weekend so the house was in an uproar everybody's getting ready for the friday night game Mm -hmm. it's friday night lights i never watched that show Uh, it's it's okay it's okay all right all right clear eyes full heart man you know okay (laughs) again never watched the show (laughs) yeah Pretty much everybody had something to do with this game. Ed was chaperoning. Francis was running the concession stand, which is murder, uh, if you've ever done it. As soon as Ed walked in the door, he started to feel what he would call the hum, which was kind of that pressure that he would feel in his head that was from the first sighting. And it started to manifest as a high-pitched ringing sound in his right ear, and it just kept getting louder. Uh, He moved into the backyard past uh, his pool, and it started to soften a little bit and he recognized it as the same hum from the blue beam a short time later he heard what sounded like a bus releasing its air brakes like in his head it was like a rush of air like just directly inside his head and a voice followed it 
it wasn't directed at Ed. Ed felt like he was picking up on half of a conversation that these alien beings were having with someone, and he couldn't understand what they were saying, but he guessed that they were talking in a, quote, African dialect. That's probably just him being a little racist, but that's fine. (laughs) I'm not going to dismiss that, you know? Very well could be. So I really at, think, though, that yeah. sorry, no, no, I no. really think this is one of the more interesting because this is, again, not the only time this happens. But one of the more interesting aspects of this case is is him just having this receiver somehow put into him, either physically or metaphysically or whatever, to where before the 11th. He never had any reports of hearing voices. He never had any reports of, of talking with aliens. And and as opposed to your typical chosen one motif that you get in alien abduction experiences, which we do get into a little later here, I mean, he is also just privy to conversations between beings of a, of a higher, different intelligence. You don't get a lot of abduction accounts that don't, always specifically relate to the individual itself whenever the aliens are around. Like anytime there's an alien, they're talking to, they're thinking about, they're they're acting towards a person. Whereas in this, we have multiple instances of them just theoretically being around and and him picking up their conversations or their signals or even just the hum itself. It's it's really kind of breaks the mold and it's in many ways, um and I think that's one of the more intriguing ones that it does. That blue beam just gave him some alien ESP, and he's just, you know, he's he's like a broadband radio here. He's just picking up probably on because, stations. Uh, probably because he thought it instead of being abducted. It could be. It could be. They weren't, they weren't able to do the full download or something. Yeah. Which is very All... strange because, like, when you talk about abduction accounts, it's not a matter of the aliens asking you to come along and you just automatically agree it's there's never a choice choice. in the matter but for some reason ed walters gets a choice so why is that why maybe (laughs) maybe but why do these aliens suck so bad at their jobs well but well he's heavier than a dog it's true (laughs) if if that's what we're looking at and they're here for the dogs but you do you have this idea that that he he what am i trying to say defies yeah he does not consent to this and in a lot of ways even in the more terrifying accounts of like whitley streber streber in his own way does does consent to being abducted and does say these things are higher than me better than me and i am lower than them and therefore they have a natural right which we're going to get into here on this one as well but a natural (laughs) right to do this and Ed just does not believe that. Like, he, he completely disagrees. And we'll get into my ideas of what actually is happening during all of this at the end. But, like, I, I think that this is just one of those times where the power of will makes manifest the reality that we want to be real. You know, you're getting meta here, man. And I don't know <laughs> if I can handle that just yet. But you know okay. what? I'm, I'm going to agree with you. That's definitely That's definitely possible here. It's just, why is it? only ed walters why is it nobody else so that's he is a unique person (laughs) he is a unique unique person 
after Francis and Laura left to go to the game, Ed went outside and he was confronting this UFO and he would do this multiple times. The rush of air again entered his head and he could see this speck of light really high up in the sky and it just fell at a really fast rate and a loud voice boomed in his head and said uh, basically for him to come forward. He, It was so loud that he ended up like it, it, it felt like it blasted him against uh, the brick walls of his house and like he bit his tongue. The aliens are telling him to step forward to be taken on board. He's resisting, as as always, and he asks the beings what right they have to do this. And they simply just say, we have the right. What right this is, I don't know. A, a lot of people are going to point to the Eisenhower Treaty, which I don't think is real, but, you know, that that is, that is what it is. I think I have specifically reference that if not in episodes of not alone like reference this in response to the eisenhower treaty and just how you do have alien forces telling them that there is a a legal authority that they have to abduct alien or to abduct human beings yes and ed wasn't having it it's un-american damn it so he has his camera in hand and he and he takes Photo number six, which uh, is one of the most iconic. It's actually the cover photo to the paperback edition of the book. The aliens tell him not to do that in three different dialects. One of them is a male voice. The other is a female voice. And the other is a male voice that's speaking to him in Spanish. Covering all the bases. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They know Ed's been on Costa Rica. They've got everything covered here. The UFO kind of shoots out of the way of his camera, just trying to avoid it. And the beings try a different tactic this time. Instead of showing him visions of dogs, they're showing him visions of naked women. Well, if we can't get your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Go after your lust. Oh, yeah. I don't like you saying that word. (laughs) Made me feel bad inside. Sorry. So <laughs> he, he he apparently wants you inside a box for this one, you know. He wants to keep you contained. He doesn't want you, you know, expressing yourself. That's not right. It's un American. Are we talking about aliens? No, me about? to you, I think. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. And I'll be the first to say that's un American. It's un American. Ed was not buying it though. He just kept raising that camera, taking more and more photos, and UFO Finally tired of his crap, just uh, shot up uh, and shot away. So that was the second encounter with the UFO. Just, it's so zany. It's almost, it almost borders on slapstick. Yeah, yeah. This idea of the, the, I really like the image of literally the, the dialogue in the book is as the, the spaceship comes down, Ed says he raises his camera and starts snapping pictures, and the voice just says, don't do that. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then another voice comes in and says, please don't do that. And then you get the what Spanish it? voice. It which... says, like, los fotografos es por, uh, prohibido, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't speak Spanish, but what? Yeah, los fotos son prohibido. Yeah. That is what the aliens are saying. Yeah. It's like you're in a freaking Disney ride, and you have the one announcer that's like, the taking of 
photographs and, and video recordings is not permitted on this ride. <laughs> and then you have Los Fotos Son Prohibido <laughs> on this alien abduction. <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't, I don't either. These, I think, are some of my favorite aliens just because... While they're, they're terrible, bad at their job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just, they're, they're, no, they're... don't do that. Okay, I guess he took it. <laughs> Dang it! I told yeah, you ex- not to. Exactly. These Where's are. Where's your dog? <laughs> <laughs> like I that assume good boy? that these aliens are pulling in, like, um, they're middle class aliens pulling in minimum wage. You know, they just got stuck with this job. There was nothing else available. And they were given the task of abducting the most unabductable uh, person ever. Unabductable. I like Unabductable. <laughs> so the uh, media uh, attention this case was getting was starting to ramp up. There were TV stations that were starting to cover all the sightings and, well, and yeah, such. Yeah, providing all these sweet photos. Oh, yeah. What do you expect? Almost two weeks after the last sighting, on December 2nd, the UFO would return. And this this is one of the most fun <laughs> experiences that he has. Um, so clearly they realize, they haven't figured out that he'll just keep taking more photos yeah, of yeah. them. <laughs> exactly. So <Leave> alone. <laughs> prohibido. Oh, oh, prohibito. Absolutely. Um, so at, at, at 3 a.m., Ed was woken up by the humming sound, which he thought was his pool pump. Damn old pool pump. It's just he didn't turn it off. What the heck, Ed? This hum is soon replaced by the sound of a baby crying, which Ed notes that he does not have a baby in the house. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, (laughs) but if you think about it again. I don't have a child. The sound of a baby crying is something that is primally programmed into the human race. Like, it's something that we have a visceral reaction. Anybody, even if it's not your child, like anybody in a grocery store with a crying baby, you pinpoint it and you feel strongly about it one way or the other. Yeah, airlines have really helped me with that. Yeah, exactly. It's essentially a lure. The same way you lure a fish with something shiny or some some bit of meat, you lure a human into the wood, the proverbial woods, with the sound of a baby crying because it's in your instinct to react to it one way or the other. Or, you know, three rows back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Trying to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, it stirs some emotion. (laughs) I want to believe that these aliens are cluing Ed in on purpose but at the same time, the conversations that they're having surrounding this baby are kind of hilarious because they're basically trying to feed it. So the voices are talking in Spanish the entire time. So, you know, maybe this is targeted at Ed again, but they talk about how the baby wants some milk, but all they have is bananas. And <laughs> all they're giving them is bananas. It's like Ice Age. <laughs> yeah. So um, here are leche, some... Leche, <laughs> leche. <laughs> so here are some uh, highlights from the dialogue. Female voice. She wants some milk. Male voice. If they don't give us something other than bananas, I'll... And uh, it cut out right there. Female voice. Hush. They'll hear you. Then the male voice says, essentially, son of a bitch in Spanish. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think he got more bananas? <laughs> what are we going to do with all these bananas? These dang bananas. We it's all we're giving them. Bananas. We need some milk. <laughs> Baby it needs milk, and all they got are bananas. So It reminds me of when Lucille Ball told everyone that she could intercept Soviet transmissions due to the metal fillings in her teeth. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because it sounds like an episode of I Love Lucy. (laughs) And Ricky shouting in Spanish, and Lucy's like, we need the bananas. (sighs) This this poor baby is having to endure this banana fiasco. What poor baby? (laughs) What's a hypothetical baby? Is it a literal baby? Who knows? It's insane. (laughs) I feel like you just have... They just have a really bad soundboard. That's <laughs> what the problem is. They have all these weird sounds in a projector, and they're like, maybe this will work. Yeah. <laughs> maybe right if he button? thinks he's picking up on our conversations, he'll be more inclined to want to participate. I don't know. We have a yeah. banana. <laughs> <laughs> the banana one. Say that again. We need milk. <laughs> Are they offering a trade? <laughs> is this... The worst trade deal. <laughs> you, in my history, he'll trade, trade you. Deals. So he'll trade you this baby for some damn bananas right now. <laughs> um, no deal. <laughs> so, <Pass>. sorry, <laughs> Howie, not doing it. <laughs> so Ed had actually purchased two guns in between sightings. Uh, encounters and uh, one that he kept in his truck and the other he kept by his bedside table so he kind of did this like I don't know secret agent thing where he's like slipped out of bed and onto the floor and he's reaching up to grab his gun and as he puts his hand on the gun the voices stop he hears the rush of air and it's the hum and it's it's come back and Ed started to move throughout the house. Secret Agent Ed, he's on the loose looking for alien beings that might be in the house. Uh, He takes a peek out the back door to check on the family dog, which they just keep outside all the time, which is a (sighs) Do they even love their dog? Why would you even get a dog to just leave it outside all the time? Yeah, (sighs) exactly. It's a Spitz named Crystal. It's almost like the dog is a lure because... As soon as he, you know, peeks out, the UFO descends and hovers over their pool approximately 100 feet in the air. Ed quickly ducks back inside, and you guessed it, he's going for that damn camera. (laughs) They're impervious to bullets, but they... It's like the T-Rex and the goat. Oh, yeah. In Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm on board. Yeah, the feed, the lure. Yeah. Except it's a dog, which makes me sad. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, busts out his camera. Oh, yeah, he busts out that camera. He peeks his head back outside. The craft is drifting to the east, and it demands that Ed step forward now. Secret Agent Ed went into full sprinting mode, moving from windscreen to windscreen, taking picture after picture. And uh, with the camera in one hand and the gun in the other. Like, (laughs) can we get more American right now? Can we get more American? No, we Uh, cannot. No. So the two just kind of play this cat and mouse game for a little while, and then the UFO shoots off. Ed comes to the realization that the hum that he thought was his pool pump was really from the UFO. So like a madman, he unplugs every appliance in the house that gives off a humming sound. So he'll know if the UFO comes back. It's that early warning detection. Mm -hmm. So 
he uh, unplugs everything and then just goes back to bed. So this conceivably happens within the span of like less than 10 minutes because Wait, what? Th- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because according to him, he was woken up again at 3:30. So the first uh incident was at 3, the second whoa. one now is 3:30. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He calmed back down and yes. went to sleep in maybe yes. 20 minutes. That's the most unbelievable part of all of this. Exactly. God. Exactly. And this time, Crystal lets out one single solitary bark because Ed was relying on this dog to also be an early warning detector. But Crystal well, didn't you can't see... detect what's not there. No. No. And maybe if you <laughs> treat she the dog better. It, so. <laughs> treat the dog better, maybe it'd be more agreeable to that. So he picked up the gun. Uh, he picked up the camera. Made some verbal threats uh, in his bedroom out loud to the aliens because it's just it's pure Ed. And he goes over to these French doors that are in his bedroom. He pulls back the blind to see if he can see the UFO. And standing right at the window is a four foot tall figure that Ed described as wearing a boxy metallic type of armor that covered the majority of its body. It wore some kind of helmet that covered most of its face, with the exception of one area that revealed a set of black, wet-looking eyes that just kept staring at him. And in its right hand, it carried a silver rod, which, uh, you know, is something that we hit on over and over again in abduction accounts. Mm-hmm. Aliens just seem to have these silver rods that they like to use, so... It's their magic wand. It is they- their magic wand. Okay, but but first, before we go too much further, let, let so a boxy suit. Yes, isn't that also fairly reminiscent of like space and robot pop culture stuff mm. at that kind time, of point in time as well? Kind of like the interesting thing about it, like Ed noted that it kind of had a shine to it, so it looked like it was made of metal. At the end of Whitley Strieber's experiences, uh, when he asked for quote-unquote confirmation, there is a being that is standing right next to him while he's in bed, and it's wearing a double-breasted suit, but it's not a double-breasted suit. It's made out of cardboard, which is <laughs> which is just weird. I mean, hey, you got to do what you do. You can to look your best. Yeah, so, like, they really appear to like really boxy outfits for whatever reason. But every alien that Ed encounters in the entirety of the book is wearing this kind of armor. Okay. And, I mean, it makes sense that they're here to visit. They have to go grab all that film. Mm -hmm. They do. We can't have that just floating around. No. uh, They're getting too much press coverage. They're not down with it. And that silver rod is also... Uh, like you said, it, it happens time and time again in in reports, but specifically, if we think about Whitley Strieber, as I do every day, that it, silver I'm rod, <laughs> that, I'm so sorry, Sam. that silver rod um, was used to implant images into yeah. Strieber's mind, specifically about the end of the world and like your child is in danger. They should have got the the thing. blue beam upgrade. Ah, uh, yeah, because that's yeah. all they need now. <laughs> Boop. Beam it in, Scotty. I mean, what kind of modem are they running? Because it's 87. They got to be running the modem, uh, you know, even before this is pre-internet. But this UFO seems to be, like, 
it, it also seems to be as terrible as the aliens that are driving it. So I don't know. They needed to upgrade their whole Some situation. Some real crappy aliens. Yes. <laughs> these, these are the aliens that all the other aliens like, we just got to get rid of them. Yeah. Where are we going to send them? Send them to Ed's house. Oh, yeah. Ed, Ed will just take photos of them. You know that coworker yeah, like, who just fine. messes up everything every time they get close to anything? That's these aliens. Yep. What are we talking about? I'll tell you after this. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and eventually you just say, okay, so-and-so, go over there, do that. You know, something that you're not, even if you mess up, it doesn't matter. I think that's what this is, but then it ended up mattering in its own weird little way. It did. And the moment Ed sees this boxy, roboted alien, he falls backwards this alien just keeps so staring dramatic. at him. Yeah. <laughs> this alien you just keeps staring at him, unfazed. Like, Ed reaches and points the gun at it. It's still just standing there, staring at him. And I don't like, move. He can't see me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Ed kind of, like, yells at it, too. And uh, it's just standing there and staring until it just turns to the left and then walks away. Well anti-climax. <laughs> the film's probably not over there. <laughs> Looking over here now. <laughs> yeah, so Ed's, Ed's I'm, angry. I'm Mr. X. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mr. X is angry. Secret Agent Ed is going to go apprehend this alien. He runs outside. The moment he steps on his pool deck, there's the UFO, and it shoots down the blue beam of light, and it hits his right leg. And it starts to lift him up off the ground. He tries to grab onto a nearby uh, door jam, uh, and he's and he's holding on for dear life. And and Francis runs over to his side, and she's trying to pull him in. Eventually, the aliens just are so tired of Ed and his crap. They drop him. They fly out into this field in their backyard. Now, this field is it belongs to the school. So I think it's like the they're either their soccer or football field. And it stops in the middle of this field to pick up the alien that was running away. <laughs> hey, get up here, Jerry. <laughs> and he takes a picture of it, and it's actually a pretty cool-looking photo. It's the one where you can see the blue beam of light coming down from it. So, you know, these aliens, still terrible. Still sucking at their jobs. Yeah, this is rough, man. First day? Like, what? (laughs) No, this is conceivably their third day. I mean... I know. (laughs) They're just making mistakes left and right, though. It's just so... It's so messed up, but it's so fun at the same time. I love this story. (laughs) It's a good story. How is this not, like, an animated TV series yet? It could be... That's the thing about this, is it could literally be a series... Because part of me is like, maybe this needs to be a three-parter. Because <laughs> we're like on freaking, how many sightings are there in part one alone that 20? we're looking at? <laughs> 20 sightings, and this is number three. <laughs> yeah. Holy uh, There are a bunch of them that are like inconsequential. Just, yeah, but, just like, um, oh, I saw it here and there. Yeah. Um, but you also have, though, again, as crazy as it sounds and as terrible as these aliens are, and seem to be, you do have more theoretical external confirmation. You do have more people claiming that on the same night, uh, not necessarily there, but around, 
they saw something that looks like what I'd described and specifically dropping a, a blue beam out of the bottom of it. You and know? I mean, that's the same thing though, with like Mothman and that was just an owl. Um, no, we're, we're, we're no, it wasn't. Okay. You need to stop that. We are guests on Rob's show. <laughs> Uh, he won't stand for that. I I let myself theoretically kind of say you okay, were almost maybe taken with that, Sam. You were almost taken with that owl information. And then TJ showed me a picture of a freaking snow owl or a barn owl or whatever it was, which is like this tall. <laughs> I'm upset. Just like Drake. He, he's all right. He's clearly upset. My my goal here has been reached. <laughs> to derail or to make me upset? Both. Both. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> you can't derail something that's derailed to begin with. There like, are no rails. <laughs> this right. thing There's came just thrusters, off. Blue thrusters. That's all yeah. we have. That's that's it. Like I I'm, a, I'm kind of picturing like it's Back to the Future Three and it's Doc with that train <laughs> that somehow flies. And uh this is this is what we're Magnets, grooving on. Bro. Magnets. Yeah. <laughs> that's gotta <laughs> oh, be yeah. it. Totally magnets. We still don't know how they work, right? You know, I mean, no, they're crazy, man. <laughs> they're awesome. They totally are. <laughs> After this sighting, Ed and Francis are starting to consider reporting their uh, sighting to Mufon and trying to get some help because Ed really all he was doing was snapping pictures. It's not like. Uh, he was getting any closer to figuring out what the hell the really the aliens want it, even though like they they're pretty clear about it. They want him to step forward so that they can take him on board their craft. But they eventually come to the conclusion that they do need Buffon's help. They contact them, and later that day they come over. They take measurements of like the spot where he took the first photographs in his uh, front yard. But before they show up, there are these two gentlemen that just step foot on their property unannounced. Ed had gone out to some job sites that day and uh, Francis was alone in the house. She sees these guys on her property, just like snapping pictures left and right. And she's just like scared out of her wits. So I'm just going to put it out there. If you're a UFO investigator, don't just walk mm-hmm. up onto somebody's property without permission. And just start taking pictures. Don't yeah, do don't it. Do it's not cool. It's, it's not cool at all. The UFO showed up again on December 5th and it was about six in the morning. Ed, basically saw it hovering over the school and the voice came back into his head declaring that he was in danger and they gave him a cool nickname will robinson oh yeah and they gave him a cool nickname zihas zihas (laughs) he's got three names now (laughs) mr x head zihas they called me zihas and Special kind of avocado. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's oh, Haas. I see. Haas. Okay. Yeah, there's Zihas. <laughs> and the kind of the hilarious thing here is like months later, I, I want to say it was in 1988. I don't have the exact day, but this woman wrote to the Gulf Breeze Sentinel because they had been reporting uh, basically like weekly Ed's you know, sightings. He's and got stuff. his own column now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Edge place. <laughs> pretty much, which is not any place I want to visit. But no, 
this one woman basically said that maybe the aliens are saying cejas, which is a Spanish word that means eyebrows. <laughs> oh, Ed. Uh, and if you right, look at sucks. photos of Ed, he has some very prominent eyebrows. That's just disrespectful. It's <laughs> uh, just rude. So, like... Either these aliens have a sense of humor, or they just don't care. I'd say the latter. <laughs> yeah, I, I I tend to agree. Oh, oh man. Lord. One of the most startling sightings happens on December 17th. Uh, it's about two hours after Ed goes to bed. His vision becomes filled with like a, a white flash like it just turns completely white and through strained vision he can see that there are three humanoid figures standing by the bed just staring at him you know because that's what these things do they just stand there and mm-hmm. stare and he could see shadows from beyond the bed like moving forward he tried to scream, but he couldn't get anything out again, like uh, inside the blue beam. But he could actually move. And he was in the process of sitting up, and he hatched this plan to where he was going to grab one of these alien beings. And he was hit with a really loud sound that he described as being as loud as if you were standing at the base of a waterfall. Hmm. And it was kind of, it was really debilitating. But the thing was, is that it was mixed in with this, what he said sounded like a reel-to-reel tape being fast-forwarded. So, so that's, yeah, that's just weird. Ed, he's regaining his composure, grabs the damn Polaroid camera, and he rushes outside. Against Francis's wishes, she doesn't, she wants him to cut the crap. And I don't blame her. I'd want the same thing. So Francis Francis thinks that if we just ignore it, they'll leave us alone. Is that what she's thinking at this point? Or... Maybe. I don't know. I don't think she really believes that, but she's, she's just like, it was nothing. Just go back to bed. You know, okay. we, we don't need to do this. So Ed rushes outside, takes another photo of the cam- uh, with the camera, and the object was hovering about 30 feet in the air, and it started to dump this steam and liquid onto the ground and then it just moved toward a group of trees and disappeared ed would later collect this uh liquid in a used butter tub Ooh, spread it on your toast <laughs> oh yeah it's it's gonna taste great so minutes later uh, another bigger ufo appears and Ed is in secret agent mode, running from windscreens, trying to take photos of this thing. And at one point, he experiences a white flash again. And then he kind of just, like, blacks out for a few minutes. He thinks this is, like, a missing time episode. But realistically, maybe the aliens were just tired of his crap. And it's just like, yeah, white flash. We're done with you. We just want some rest, Edward. We don't have Just, to do this every time. <laughs> exactly. So when he regains consciousness, he finds that his camera is, like, there's no film in it for whatever oh, reason. Wow. They finally got it. Yeah. <laughs> after after seven tries. Yeah. Man. So. They did it. They didn't give up. He, That's what matters. 
for sure. And he runs back to Francis to get some more film for this damn camera. Keeps taking pictures because, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like taking pictures of this thing like a repellent of some kind. It's got to be. Cause I mean, just... it, it's literally the only thing they seem to respond to is the yeah. camera. Yeah. I mean, so do I. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know? Loves you, darling. It, it reminds me of this time I, I – I went on a trip to Hawaii and we went to the Honolulu Zoo and there was this flamingo there and his name was Sherman. If you actually lifted up a camera, he would walk in front of it because he wanted you to take his picture. Sherman, he's so smart and good. Yeah. (laughs) These aliens, though, maybe they want this attention. I don't know. You know, know, that's a a weird way of going about it. wants this attention. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody wants attention. Yeah. We all know that. He has a a few other inconsequential sightings. Uh, one time when he's working on his pool pump, takes another picture. There's like three objects in this one picture. Later that day, he goes to the Gulf Breeze Sentinel and basically tells Dwayne Cook that he is Mr. X. Mr. Which, if Dwayne is not thinking Whoa. that he's Mr. X the entire time, he is an idiot. Yeah, if he's an editor of a newspaper and it took him this long to figure that kind of stuff out. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have no faith in that in newspaper him. is probably needing to be edited again. <laughs> yeah. Uh but through uh because he exposed himself um, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, poor <laughs> choice of words, but I'm Let's going be with careful it. there. Yeah. We don't want to uh, slander he, um, the good man. Uh, basically, Dwayne agreed to have these photos uh, handed over to a guy named Dr. Robert Nathan, who worked for JPL at the time. Independently, he examined these photos and came to the conclusion that they were not double exposed. And I kind of get the point because it's hard to do that with a Polaroid camera. Mm-hmm. Not easy, but at the same time, you know, it's it's possible. Mm -hmm. However, you know, hard it is, it's still possible. Well, and a double exposure would make a lot of sense, not only from, like, the skeptical, like, oh, aliens can't be real, he couldn't, these can't be real pictures, but even from, like, the, the, I believe in aliens, it's still hard for me to accept this. And the biggest thing is, we've kind of mentioned it before, is kind of the... Uh, the, the... That explains so much. Wow, crap, what am I trying to say? The see-through. Yeah, the, the ghostliness quality. of it. Yeah, yeah the, the ghostly the quality. I was also, like, I was looking at some of the photos. I'm like, why? We have other light sources. Why aren't they, like, doing anything on the surface Illuminating, of it? It's yeah. so yeah. flat, which yeah. is what you see in a lot of, like, film-based double exposure. Yeah, they it, it would make a lot of sense if they were double exposed. It would. Explains why it looks like a lantern. It really does. Um, <laughs> you... <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but I just did it. <laughs> I turned the light on. <laughs> on the 27th of December, we're getting toward the end of the year here, one of Danny's friends, Patrick Hanks, he's a good friend of the family, decides for some reason to go to the house to check on Ed, is what he says, when he knocks on the door, Francis answers it, and in true, like, poltergeist fashion, she goes, It's here! Oh. <laughs> Look, Patrick! <Perfect. laughs> 
she leads him to the living room and through a window he can see the ufo hovering near the backyard ed's out there uh i believe working on the pool pump as soon as ed walks inside and sees patrick the ufo shoots off which makes patrick believe that like the ufo is almost looking through ed's eyes somehow because you know this thing isn't weird enough interesting yeah it it really is. Uh, people have a lot of interesting theories for this uh, set of sightings, so you know you'll have that. Well, it 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 unspokenly makes a lot of sense. Like, um, not only just, of course, the idea of the the him getting these transmissions. If he's getting transmissions of of disembodied voices, potentially whatever mechanism is doing that could send a transmission as well. But you do have these other little details, like the moment Ed grabs his gun uh, in that other encounter, the sound stops. Like the second that he touches the gun, which is either a psychological thing, wherein his mind is saying, like, you're safe now, and that that stops the noise, but that doesn't make a lot of sense because then he sees an alien. Or it's because they have some way of... of what is it, oculomancy, like in Harry Potter, where Voldemort can see through Harry's eyes and vice versa? What a creeper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Alien I'd never voyeurs, look man. Through it's a so teenage weird. boy's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was alien. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not down with alien voyeurs at all, so, you know. No. Damn. They're the worst kind um, of voyeurs. The next. <laughs> Uh, so the next night, uh, there's another UFO, uh, conceivably the same UFO that he's been seeing. For whatever reason, he tells Francis to call the police. Uh, I have no... <laughs> call the cops! Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to arrest now. these guys. Just this is America, now. the land of justice. These <laughs> illegal aliens will have to undergo detainment. Wait, yeah. so she called... She wanted to call... The police on aliens, but not the mysterious dudes that were <laughs> not the taking physical beings on her front lawn. And the thing is, is like in the book, they go back and forth between each other about who asked who to call the police. We don't know who really Perfect. asked who to call the police, but I just imagine somebody Ed did telling her to for whatever reason. For what and like it's forgotten. Nobody even goes over to the telephone. <laughs> um. Instead, Ed has run out of Polaroid film, has been careless, and he hasn't even picked After up anymore. all this time, he's yeah. finally out of you film. You would think he'd just stock up. Yeah. I would. Uh, the only, and here's where it's going to get a little more frustrating. He has... <laughs> oh, good. More <laughs> frustrating, you I'm say. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. He has a video camera. <laughs> Wait a second. Yes. He has a video camera. He goes outside and he captures one minute and 38 seconds worth of video footage of this thing. Mm. Where's that? Edward. I have not seen it. I would like to. But uh, I don't know how I could see it because Ed Walters is underground. Uh, nobody knows where Ed Walters lives. I don't even know if he's still living. Yeah, he's is in his... he still oh, alive? I, when you said underground, I thought you meant dead. dead. <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, he might be. that's a way to put it. 
And I mean, you know, I, if, when I say that, people are going to think that he went underground to live with the reptilians uh, at Dulce Base or something. Yep. You know, Man, which, you're listening. Jason, <laughs> Jason doesn't even know what Dulce is. What? Yep. You don't know what Dulce Base is? We'll get there. Uh, don't. Don't don't ruin it for him. Okay. Is that uh, where yeah. the simulation gets projected? It might be. Perfect. <laughs> yep. So excited then. Yep. So TJ believes if you talk about Dolce Base, you get disappeared. Eighty six. Yeah. They like you will get murdered. <laughs> they disappear so, you. Dolce, Dolce, Dolce. I'm ready. <laughs> Take me now. <laughs> What's up, you fanats? So, there was a slight miscalculation as it relates to this episode. I I kind of got a little panicked when we were recording because our recording session was about three hours long. And I had initially asked Sam, how long are your scripts, man? How long are normally your scripts? Uh, just to kind of get an idea of how they do things over there. He tells me, oh, it's usually like 8 to 12 pages. And I'm like, shit. Mine's 21, so this should be interesting. Yeah, we recorded for over three hours. And we decided that we didn't want to release a really long, like, two and a half, three hour episode. So the initial, what we thought was going to be a two-part episode is now a three-part episode. So you're getting the first half of the Ed Walter story. You're going to get the second half next week. And then in a couple of weeks, uh, there might be a lull in there because Sam's going on vacation. Uh, we're going to talk about the aftermath, the hypnosis sessions, and uh, just kind of how everything went down after that. So this is going to be a fun three-parter. If you really enjoyed this episode, you're going to get more of it next week and in the episode after that. So you got that to look forward to. So if you want to connect with the show, uh, there are a few ways to do that. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Search for us. We're out there. Email ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. I apologize if I'm slow getting back to people lately. There's a lot of research that has gone into this episode in, in this entire series you know, period. But I will respond to you soon if you have left me an email. I apologize. But... Yeah, things have just been absolutely crazy. If you're interested in bonus content, we have the Patreon page up. Perks include shoutouts on the show, early access to the episodes. And, for instance, people will have the second part of this episode by Saturday up on the Patreon feed. So, if you really want to get access to that early... $3 a month will get you that. Uh, we also do bonus episodes. They're strange, guys. Looking into UFO sightings from other countries. I say it all the time. Uh, the free episode that we did on the Zanfretta abductions, that is technically a Patreon episode. So if you liked that, you will probably like what we have available already, and we've got more stuff coming down the line. And shout out to my newest patrons, Brent Collister, Cliff Barnes, and Dan Lefebvre from the Based on a True Story podcast. I mentioned it before, but Dan had me on to talk about the film adaptation of Communion and just how crazy, insane it was. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go check that out. And Dan has a really great podcast 
I love it. He dives into the true stories behind movies. So he just did one for 9-11 on United 93. Really great episode. So go check out his podcast. It's fantastic. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. And there's something that I kind of want to address right here. I've been getting these BS reviews saying that I am political, that this show is political. And I just want to dispel that for people. What they're mentioning in these reviews is basically two minutes of an episode where I talked about how UFOs have been depicted in the media since the New York Times article dropped in December. And because I mentioned Fox News and Tucker Carlson, I've been getting these one-star reviews. Please stop with the crap. All right? I love you all, but when you're dropping these BS reviews that do not accurately reflect my podcast, I have a problem with that. That is the only time I will ever really have a problem with people giving me crappy reviews. Do I take crappy reviews to heart? Yeah, most definitely. Because it's a reflection of me, it's a reflection of something that someone doesn't like about me, and so on. But when you do not accurately represent my podcast, I have a problem with that. So I want reviews, but I don't want inaccurate reviews like that. So please, we're not political here. If you are coming to this podcast from iTunes reviews of one-star reviews saying that we're political, we are not political. It was a brief mention on an episode, and that was it. So that's where we're going to leave it. Special thanks to the Osic, and in particular one member, Rory. He put together this fantastic timeline that is hilarious and very helpful, and uh, I can't think of enough for that. And thank you to the Osic in general. They do such great and fantastic work. They're so enthusiastic about these subjects, and they always uncover the, the they dig deep, folks. And you're gonna start to see that in uh, the remaining episodes of this year, which, if I'm going to peg it right now, we're gonna finish up Roswell. We're gonna do our 65 to 67 series, and then that'll probably be it for the year. So. You've got a lot of great stuff to look forward to. I'm just I'm just going to put it like that. If you're interested in merch, we got the Tee Public store. And I always forget to mention it because of just how I write it in my notes. We got a lot of great designs up there. The great Desdemona has made many of them. Tessa Brown made our main logo design, which you can put on a shirt or a notebook or anything really over there. And here's a cool thing. We we did this podcast with Sam Fredrickson. That's Sam Fredrickson's sister. So support not alone. Support Our Strange Skies. Support Tessa Brown. Yeah, that's right. So our theme song was composed by Shane Yoder over at PutThemInASong.com. And as I've said, Tessa designed our logo. So the the usual there. <laughs> and finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies or on the streets of Gulf Breeze, Florida. In Gray We Trust.
Shavid Media.